are coming towards the end of our series, Gospel Pathway. Hopefully it's been an encouragement and a blessing to you. But our goal in this series was we don't want to be people that just understand the gospel. Although oftentimes there's an assumption that we understand the gospel when we really don't. So we want to understand the gospel. We spent the first four weeks kind of laying that foundation. But we also want to be people who live the gospel, who apply the gospel, who what Paul says walks in newness of life. Like we experience the power of the gospel in our lives. We took some time talking about personal pursuit of holiness. Uh, and we're, we're now wrapping up three weeks with love, the reputation, where love is a big deal uh, in scripture for the Christian. And we want the gospel, we want to know the gospel. We want the gospel to impact us personally. And we want the gospel to impact our relationships as well. And we are called to love God first and foremost. And that love for God should send us on a life of mission. We're people who've been radically forgiven and we want to be radical forgivers um but often probably most often when the bible talks about love it's talking about love between brothers and sisters in christ the love that should exist within the family of god and how we should treat each other and it's spoken of of a very high standard or high calling of what this loving relationship should look like in fact uh, john speaks about it uh, most often this is in his gospel he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love who? One another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by the way that you love one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's saying your reputation of how people are going to connect you with me is how you treat each other. And the family relationships that you have. The, the way that you love one another, this is how people are going to know you're with Jesus. And then John, in, in his letters, uh, he goes even stronger at, at the requirement of love for one another as a Christian. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So you can't walk in the light and hate your brother. Like, that doesn't go hand in hand. Here's another passage in First John. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Like if you don't love your brother, he's saying, here's what I can tell about you. You're not a child of God. It's a, it's a requirement. Here's another passage. Since you guys are loving these. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. How do you know you've passed out from death to life? You love the brothers. Like, that's an evident. Here's another one. Beloved, let us love who? One another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's like, this isn't like an optional thing for Christians. This is in the DNA of what it means to be a follower and a child of God. Here's one more. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love who? One another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another. High standard of calling of what Christian relationship should look like. And the reality is oftentimes that's missing. Like we don't have the, the depth of love we're called to in our Christian relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
the, the one another passages in the New Testament, there's like 59 one another passages. You've, you've read some of them uh, here, but it's all the commands on how we're to treat one another. We're to love one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to rebuke one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to serve one another. We're to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're to confess our sins to one another. Like 59 times in the New Testament, we're getting specific commandments of how Christians are supposed to treat Christians and their relationships. And the sad thing is, often it, our relationships don't live up to what's called out in Scripture. Like what, what we're called to have doesn't exist it, it, it's not a part of our life. And here's what we need to understand. That's detrimental to our growth. It's detrimental to us becoming the Christians we're called to become. It's detrimental to our growth. And it's often missing because we tend to isolate. Uh, we, we keep people at a safe distance in the name of protecting ourselves. We guard our, our heart in the wrong ways. We don't enter into the community we're called to, especially when we're struggling. When we're struggling, it's like, they're my problems. I'll deal with my problems on my own. It's just not what we're called to as Christians. And it will be detrimental to our growth. We want to grow, right? And maybe we cheapen it by calling it growth. We want spirit-empowered Christian transformation. Like a few weeks back, we talked about the fruit of the spirit. It's something God does in us. He produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. Like all those things, God producing it. Like we want that, don't we, church? Like we want, we want to grow. We want to walk in newness of life. Well, an essential ingredient to our development is Christian community. And I know we've gone there a lot as a church because uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in Scripture. It's a big deal to us, and we're going to go there again. But oftentimes, we tend to neglect this ingredient, or we assume we have it when we don't really have what the Scripture is telling us. And when we don't have what it's calling us to have, we miss out on the power of God in our lives, the power of God in our lives for our transformation. So if we want to grow as we're called to grow, we need to take this seriously. We need to take Christian community seriously. And we're going to be anchored in one text today in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't bring them, we'll put them up on the screen. But we're going to be anchored in to the first 16 verses of chapter 4. And as we, we study this and we look at the community that we're called to and why we're called to it, or the type of relationships we're called to, I want you to assess two things. One... Um, do I have this in my life? Do I have these type of relationships that we're going to look at in chapter four? Do I have this in my life? And two, do I provide this for other people? So one, do I have this in my life? And two, do I provide these type of relationships that I'm called to for other people around me? You guys ready? All right. Chapter four, verse one. Let's go. It says, I, Paul's writing here, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you, I'm pleading with you, take this serious. This is important. I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. As you can be a Christian and not walking in a manner worthy of what it means to be a Christian. He said, I want you to take this seriously. I want you to take the Christian life seriously. I don't want you to be this lukewarm, passive, kind of half-hearted Christian. I'm urging you to double down and take this seriously and walk in a manner that's worthy to what you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love. So for you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, here's what it's going to take. Humility, patience, gentleness, relationships, because you're going to have to bear with people. And not like the easy relationships, like I can't wait to be around you, like tough relationships where i got to bear with you. All of this is a part of us walking in a manner worthy of our calling. It's eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, let's stop there. What's a word that gets repeated quite often in that section of Scripture? One, yeah, one. You could have said all. That's, that's true, too. It's just not what I was looking for. Look for one, right? <laughs> one. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God. And what he's doing, he's talking about our unity. Hey, we're one. We're one body. We have one Lord. We have one baptism. We have one hope. Like, we're in this together. There's a, there's a unity that he's promoting. But then it comes to verse 7, and it's, but... There's a contrast. Like we have all this unity, however, or but, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we're one body, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. We're in this together. We're unified. However, Christ has given gifts to different people in different measures in this body. So despite our unity, there's diversity. But that diversity doesn't hurt our unity. It's actually good for our unity. It's good for our growth. It's good for our development. He has given gifts. Now, it says that he has given, a grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us. Everyone in the body of Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift, it was given to us. Now he goes on. Therefore... When he ascended on high, talking about Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, we like gifts. That sounds good, right? Anybody want gifts? Okay, a few of us. Too bad. Everyone's got them. Already said that in verse 7. But he says, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. Now, uh, it it gets a little bit confusing. We'll, We'll rabbit trail, but we'll come back to the main point that he's trying to make verse 9 he says in saying he ascended what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions comma the earth or maybe your uh translation is the lower regions of the earth let's stop there because that can be a confusing text and there's some debates on what he's talking about here there's three main possibilities and all three of those would be uh orthodox beliefs that you can embrace one belief would it mean when he says you descender he descended into the lower parts of the earth it could mean he descended to the lower parts which is the earth like he 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 put on flesh and he came to earth it could mean that the lower parts of the earth is he descended into the tomb like when he was buried uh, after his death he went into the tomb or it could mean when it, he descended into the lower regions of the earth, that he's talking about Sheol, or he went, like the Apostles' Creed, he went to hell uh, to lead a host of captives. 
Like all three of those are, are possible conclusions um, that I think are orthodox conclusions in Christianity. However, I'll tell you what I think. I think what he means is he descended to earth. And the reason I think that, verse 10, says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill, fulfill all things. Now, the he in verse 10 is emphatic. It would be like he himself is what it would read in Greek. He himself uh, descended, who, who descended is the one who ascended. And the point that Paul's trying to make is, you know the one who has ascended on high to fulfill all the things because he's the same one who descended and you saw minister on the earth. Like, that's the point he's trying to make. We know who this is, this, this Christ, this king who ascended. He's the one who descended onto earth. Now, you can study that. I would encourage you, dive into God's word. But let's get back to kind of the main point that he's trying to make in this text. This, this gift giving to men. Verse 11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So now we get into some specific gifts that he's given the church. So in verse 7, he's given each one of us a gift according to the measure of of Christ's grace. But then he's like, but I'm going to name some specific gifts that I've given to the church. Apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. And these gifts are to help other people live out their gifts. We see that. Why why did he give these? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So why did he give apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now that word equip means to like supply what's lacking. Anything that's lacking, like I'm going to supply what's lacking. What's needed to get the job done. Like it was a word that was used to, for fishermen to mend their nets. Like you got a hole in the net, you're not going to be able to catch fish with a hole in your net. So let's, let's equip that net so that you can catch fish, right? If something's lacking, to equip it means to supply it. So these apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and shepherds and teachers, they're to equip the saints, give them what they need or what's lacking in order for them to do the work of ministry. Now, uh, the work of ministry, when we hear that, that word ministry... Um, it's a word that's elsewhere translated service or the work of service. So Mark 10, when, when Jesus says, I didn't, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's the same word. It's like, I didn't come to be ministered to, I came to minister. So you, you see this word, and he's talking about, we're to equip the saints for the work of service. When we hear service, we tend to think like volunteering in our community, serving the, the needy, the poor, the hungry, and that's good Christian things were to do, that's just not what he's talking about here. What what he's talking about here we see in verse 12. So to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So so what, what is the work of ministry to be done? Ministering to each other. It's the body ministering to the body. It's the saints ministering to saints. You're to build up the body. And sometimes this can kind of be a critique given to churches. You're just an inward-focused church. It's like, well, <laughs> it's kind of commanded. We aren't a ministry to each other. And it's like, are you an inward-focused church or are you an outward-focused church? Well, hopefully we're an upward-focused church. But you don't have to pit these things against each other. Being inward-focused, being upward-focused, being outward-focused is something every Christian is called to. 
And they're not against each other. It's an aspect of life for the follower of Jesus. Be upward focused. Be outward focused. But there's also a ministry that has to do with our growth that deals with saints ministering to saints. The church being inward focused to its members and its saints for their development and their growth. And that's what he's talking about. So when he says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, what's the goal? Like, what are we reaching? When we want to build up the body of Christ, what, what's, what's the target we're shooting at? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a beautiful picture. And how awesome would that be if that's true of us? That we'd have a unity of the faith. That we'd have the no- a growth in our knowledge of the Son of God. That we'd be a united group of people. We would be a knowledgeable group of people. That we would know the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying, this, this is what maturity looks like. And guys, that's part of our mission statement, right? We want to raise up what? Mature disciples. Like maturity matters. And he said, this is about your maturity, that you'd be unity, that you'd be unified. That's a sign of maturity. You get along. People who are mature know how to get along. They know how to work through conflict. They know how to overlook an offense. They know how to give forgiveness. That's maturity. And maturity is, is having a sense of knowledge. You know, you're mature in your understanding of Jesus Christ. This is, this is our goal. This is what we're shooting for. And basically saying, this is like Christ-likeness. That we would grow up to to the fullness of Christ so that, this is what we want to avoid, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, right? We want to be children, we want to be mature. We no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what we want to avoid. And look at the imagery he uses here. We don't want to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Doctrine, like a type of belief system that's going to blow you all over the place. And like a, a little kid wading out in the ocean is just getting knocked around by the waves. He's like, we don't, we don't want to be people who can't stand up to the lies of this world. That, that we just kind of buy into every new idea, every new headline, every new book, every new guru. It says, I'm there, and if you read this, and if you read this, and I'm just this. Like, we just eat up everything, and we have no discernment. We just kind of take it all in. Like, I remember a while back, there was a, uh, a documentary on the History Channel. Documentary. They were talking about they discovered mermaids. You guys remember that? We got pictures of mermaids, and everybody was like, celebrities, like, I knew it's true. Mermaids exist. It was a joke. It was, uh, it was not true. It was just a mockumentary type of thing. And so many people ate it up. And I know I said that and I just crushed some of your dreams. Like, no, I know mermaids are real. They're not. I'm sorry. Talk to your mom and dad at home. Uh, but there's things like, and, and that's just silly, like mermaids. But there are like crafty lies, deceitful schemes, human cunning, where you can just Listen to that radio host, watch that news channel, tune into this podcast, and you just eat it up. And it's not biblical. And you just swallow hook, line, and sinker. And you are like a child. And you just get knocked around 
by every new idea that comes across the way. He's saying that this is what we want to avoid. And church, this is at the heart of a lot of your problems. You've just believed the wrong things. You've just bought in to lies. And this is a real threat. This is a real threat that you need to take a level of caution in your life. When it talks about human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Look at me now. In all humility, hear me. You are able to be tricked. You need to say that about yourself. You are able to be deceived. Each one of us in here is, has the ability in our own brokenness to believe the wrong things, to buy into lies, to be deceived by human cunning and craftiness. And it's crafty. It's packaged so nice. It, it, it's, it's wrapped in all kinds of partial truths to make it go down easy. And it is a threat for all of us. So what do we do about that? He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So you got a contrast. Hey, rather than believing lies, rather than getting wrapped up in human cunningness and craftiness, Let's speak the truth. Hey, rather than the, the kind of eating the deceitful schemes, let's speak the truth to one another. Rather than being children that are just gullible and believe everything, let, let's be adults. Let's be mature and reinforce the truth to one another. That, that, that's what he's calling us to, speaking the truth. And in this context, sometimes in our context, when we say, I just want to be a true speaker, it means saying hard things. And being a true speaker may involve saying hard things, but that's not what he's getting at here. It's not just about saying anything that's hard. What he's saying is, if we're going to be truth speakers to one another, we need to reinforce the truth of God. That, that's, what, that's what he's reinforcing here. Like, it's the truth of God. Rather than every wind of false doctrine, let's give right doctrine to each other. So even when you go to the gifts that that Christ has given, apostles and prophets, evangelists, uh, these are all like truth-speaking ministries to to the church. Like their role was to communicate truth, to speak the word of God. And then you get to the last one. It says the shepherds and teachers. And that's the only two he clumps together. So you got apostles, you got prophets, you got evangelists. And shepherds and teachers. So why, why, do, why do those go together? Because to be a good shepherd is to be a good teacher. In fact, you see this in Jesus' ministry. Um, let's go to the next one. Mark 6. This is what happens. Uh, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed shepherding. And what does he do? He began to what? Teach them things. So you're like a bunch of lost sheep. You need somebody to to shepherd you. And what does shepherding look like? Instruction. I'm going to give you correct instruction to guide you. And then what are we, how are we supposed to grow in this text? We're supposed to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. And what are we supposed to avoid? Wrong doctrine, deceitful schemes. So guys, hear me now. Truth is essential for our development. Truth. The truth of God is essential for our development. And it is to be communicated 
in love. To be communicated in love. Now, here's the trick. Sometimes we think that if we say in love, then we can say whatever we want after that. Like, hey, brother, I mean, in love, you're an idiot, right? You're just like, well, I can say it because in love. I mean, oh, totally, totally in love. But you're a moron, really, a moron. And you're just like, I don't feel too loving. (laughs) But we feel like, oh, it's in love. That's not what he's talking about. It's not like you can just say whatever is true. That's not the point. In fact, further down in this chapter, in chapter 29, he uses the same language, talking about what's coming out of our mouth and building up, which colors in what does he mean further up. So verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. You get that building up language again. As it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Just like uh, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ as a gift. Our words are like a gift where we give grace to others, and the point is to build up. So the question is not just, is it true? But is it helpful? Does it build people up? Does it encourage people? Is it helpful? This is, this is what we should be guided by. So to speak the truth in love means the delivery of the truth of God is accompanied by a desire for someone else's growth to build them up. Like the motive of why I'm saying this is for your benefit, for your godliness, for your growth. Not just so it's like, hey, it's wrong and I recognize it and I want you to know that it's wrong and I don't really care how you react. I'm just going to tell you it's wrong. Speaking the truth, Right? It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people that have a genuine concern for someone else's godliness. Like, I don't really want to say this because this is probably not going to go over so well. This is difficult. But I care about you. And I care about your growth. Like, this is what it means to speak the truth in love. And we can't separate these two. And we tend to do that. We tend to separate truth and love. And some people can just be like, they just feel proud that they're just really good truth speakers. I'm just going to say the truth. I'm just going to speak the truth. But it can seem like, I don't know if you really care about the people you're talking to. I love the truth. Great. Do you love people? Because that's important too. And we've got to speak the truth in love. And on the other ditch, sometimes people are just like, I just love people. I just want to care for people. I want the best for people. Well, if you say that, why don't you ever bring the truth of God into it? Because that's what really loving somebody looks like. And we tend to separate these two, but but we shouldn't. Both of them go together. It's the unique flavor of Christianity. Christ was full of grace and truth. and We should be full of truth and love in our relationships as Christians. We need to speak the truth in love. But there is also a context in which we are to live this out. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. And specifically... A local church context. Now when he goes and says we're one body and one spirit uh, with one hope, one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God. Is that true for us and believers in Papua New Guinea or Pakistan? Yes. It's a glorious truth. We're one body, one faith. We share one hope. We're united in Christ. But the point he's trying to make to this group of believers in Ephesus is I'm talking about your body, the people you bear with, the people you're connected to, the people I'm calling you to speak truth in love to. There's a context of a local church setting. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, like your local body there, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, it's, verse 16 is kind of an awkward sentence. Um, but when you take verse 16, the whole body is the subject. My English teacher would be so proud of me right now. I feel like I need to get a sticker or something. But the whole body is the subject of the sentence. Uh, the verb is caused to grow. And everything in between that just explains how. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. But if you take out what's in between, the statement that's being made is the whole body causes the body to grow. Which is kind of an odd statement. He's saying, hey, the body causes the body to grow. What's the point he's trying to make? He's saying, saints ministering to saints make saints grow. Saints ministering to saints, right? And that's you, like the people of God, ministering to the people of God makes the people of God grow. Now, that's not apart from Christ, right? Because whose body is it? Christ. It's Christ's body, right? So it's not, hey, saints don't need Christ, just saints minister to saints. He's saying, no, saints ministering to saints make saints grow because that's the way Christ designed it in his body. But basically, you can put it this way. Christ designed something that works, that works, so Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build my church. Like this is my thing. And then you get into Ephesians 4, he's saying, and I'm going to give gifts to, the, to my church. And I'm giving gifts to my church for the growth of my people. He's saying it, it works. So if you kind of unpack the order of what he's saying in, in Ephesians 4, he's saying, listen, Christ gives gifts to everybody in his church. And he also gives some specific leadership, like truth teaching gifts to that church. And those people are to equip the saints for the work of ministry to one another. And when those saints minister to one another, when they're connected and joined and held together, and they're speaking the truth in love to one another, what happens? Growth. Growth happens. What we said we wanted in the beginning. We want to grow. We want to develop. We want to be transformed. Here's how it happens. I mean, he's laying it out. Like, this, this is how it happens. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Oh, come on. That's going to really hurt my ego. Guys, not that that's a big deal. Let's go now. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow. Right? And then you go down to verse 16. From the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. And that's what we want. Like everybody in here says, we want to grow, we want to develop, we want to be transformed. Well, this is, this is the, the game plan. How do we grow? How do we grow? How do we develop? Or, or let me put it negatively, because he kind of brings that in the text too. How do we avoid being just gullible children who buy into every deceitful lie in this world? Truth speaking, loving relationships within the church. You get that? That's the program. Truth speaking, Loving relationships within the church. And every part of that sentence is important. Our relationships need to be built on and around the truth of God laid out in Scripture. That this is our authority that will guide our living. And we need to come back and open this book and challenge each other's book and let this book direct our lives. And there needs to be a love and care for one another 
that we care for each other's godliness. And those relationships should exist connected together in the same local body under the same leaders and same authority. It's the program laid out for our growth. Christian community is essential for Christian growth. You can think of it like that if you're a note taker. Christian community is essential for Christian growth. If you want to grow as a Christian, then you need community. Christian community. Not just community. It's not like, hey, we all need friends to encourage us. That's not what I'm talking about. I hope you have some friends. I hope they're encouraging. It's just not what Paul's talking about. And not just friends who happen to be Christians. Still, not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about uniquely Christian friendships and relationships where we're speaking the truth of God to each other, loving each other, caring for each other's growth and godliness in the same context under the same leaders. That's the program that's laid out for our growth. We miss it. We miss the essentialness of it. Guys, today, the number of people that regularly see a therapist is rapidly increasing. And the number of people that have this, truth-speaking, loving relationships in the context of a local church, is rapidly decreasing. And I'm not saying it's wrong to go see a therapist or to talk to a counselor. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But if you have prioritized that in your life and you're doing that and you don't have truth-speaking, loving relationships in the context of a local church, you don't understand how growth happens. You don't understand how spirit-empowered growth happens. Because that's not the program that Christ laid out. And I'm telling you, as a, as a pastor who's been in the game for a little bit, there is a common denominator to overwhelming problems. Not problems, like everybody has problems. But there's a common denominator to overwhelming problems. Like this problem is so overwhelming, I've got to go talk to a pastor about it. And the common denominator is you're not in the word of God, you're not on the mission of God, and you're not in community. Like every time. Like we come, we're just overwhelmed by these problems. It's like, well, you're not in the word of God, and you're not on the mission of God, and you're not in community. And we wonder why we're not growing. We could be frustrated, like, why am I still struggling with the same sins? And why, why am I not seeing any more fruit of the Spirit in my life? And why am I not experiencing the power of God? Because you're not interacting with the truth of God, loving relationships with the people of God and the church of God. Like, look at the expectations that are laid out in verse 16. He says, from, the, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped... When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself love. It says the whole body. When the whole body, there's a corporate cooperation in it. Because remember verse 7? He's given gifts to everybody. And your gifts are helpful for someone else's growth. Did you hear me? Your gifts are helpful for someone else's growth. He's saying the whole body, like there's a corporate cooperation in this. And he says they're joined and held together. Joined is being connected with somebody, but being held together is the longevity of that connectedness. Like, yes, you're connected in relationships with somebody. You're you're joined together, but you're also held together. Like this relationship will withstand hardships and conflict, and it will go through the ups and downs and the thick and thins, and it'll, it'll stay held together. That's essential for our growth. It's equipped. Like you have leaders that are accurately teaching the word of God. 
And when each part is working properly, when each part is connected and they're speaking the truth in love, what happens? Growth. Growth. What if it's not working properly? What if leaders aren't accurately teaching the word of God so you're not equipped? It's no growth. Or what if you have leaders that are teaching the word of God and you're equipped with it, but you're not joined or held together with anybody? You come on Sundays and the music is great and and you get the teaching of the word, but you don't know anybody. You're not like jointed together with anybody. You're not in relationships. Or if you are jointed together, it's not held. Like as soon as something goes wrong, you're just going to bail. No growth. No growth. Or what if you have leaders that teach the word of God and you are joined and held together in relationships and community. But when you get together, nobody speaks the truth in love. You're just there to have some snacks and talk about the sermon and just have a good time. But let's not ruffle anybody's feathers and let's not like challenge each other with the word of God for, because we care about each other's growth. No growth. It's not working properly. But when it's working properly... You have a promise from Christ that you will grow. You have a promise from Christ that you will grow. Christ designed something that works. And I don't want to cheapen it at all, but there's a sense where I just want to say, like, work the program. Trust the process. Get involved. Be connected. Speak truth. Be joined together. Be held together. Be equipped. It works. You will grow. So do you have this? Do you have truth-speaking, loving relationships in the context of a local church under the same leaders? Are you this for other people? So if you want to like get into the application a little bit, look back at verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body, so this includes you, joined and held together, get relationships, stay in relationships. But I want to point out, he says, by every joint with which it is equipped. A joint is when two parts come together. Here's what you need to do. Take responsibility for the joints in this church. The, the joint. It's, it's too big of a church for you to feel jointed with everybody. But you need to ask this. Who am I jointed with? People in my connection group? I teach second grade Sunday school with the same group of people every week. I lead in student ministries, and I know those leaders. Like, who, who is it that you're jointed with? Acknowledge those people. Write, write those names down. And then begin to feel a level of responsibility for their spiritual growth. Because in Christ's design, he has placed you in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, you have been placed in the body as God has chosen And you have been jointed next to these people on purpose. And you have a responsibility being jointed with them to see the growth of the body when you're working properly. So wherever you're jointed, work properly. Speak the truth in love. Stay held together. Bring the word of God into your relationships. And guys, I know this is challenging. And we often don't prioritize this because life is busy and I made it to church and I should just be happy about that, and I don't have other time for other things. And, or if we do make time for it, I don't know if we actually really speak the truth in love. We just kind of get together. And then you leave feeling like, was it worth my time because my time's valuable? And we just, 
We don't live it out. But I hear me now. It's essential for our growth. It's essential for our growth. But guys, my aim is not for us, if you're not engaged on that level, to make you feel guilty. My aim is to make you feel motivated. Motivated at the reality of growth. No, 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 the promise of growth. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, plead with you, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Church, do you know the calling to which we've been called? We have an upward call in Christ Jesus. We have a heavenly call. We have been called to God who is the prize, to live with him forever and enjoy his glory. That's our calling. That's our calling. And if that is our calling, then there is a way to live now that's fitting to that calling. That we can live in such a way now that it's like that calling. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like that's where you're headed. That's your treasure. That's your prize. And Christ gives us gifts to help us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Do you see it in this text? Growth is possible. Spirit-empowered transformation is possible. Victory over sin is possible. Real growth is possible. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling is possible. And how awesome would that be if it's true of this church? That they say that they walk in a manner worthy of a calling. They prize God and their life looks like it. So church, here's my plea. Could we be a church... For you, do you think of you taking responsibility as an individual member of this church? Could we just work properly? Like, like Christ called us to? And when I say work properly, I don't mean start on time or have the right programs. I mean be joined and held together in relationships where we really love each other and we speak the truth to one another. Could we just work properly? Because if we do, we are promised growth from Christ Jesus. And how awesome would that be? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, um, as your children, we confess, we do get duped. We get, we buy into human cunningness and craftiness and deceitful schemes We start to believe lies and it corrupts. Sometimes we we fall into the lie that thinking that we're called to retirement. But when we're called to glory, it's the truth. Help us live for glory. Help us live for you. Be the treasure in our heart. Help us lean into your promise that you designed something that works your church and you've given your church gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry as we minister to each other, we speak the truth and love, jointed and held together, we're going to grow. I pray that we would grow in this church down to every individual and corporately as a body would better reflect the image of Christ. I pray this in your name. Amen.